Hello there. Rancho Obi-Wan, the Guinness World Records certified largest Star Wars memorabilia collection. Located in Petaluma, California, featuring the collection of super collector, author, and Star Wars fan ambassador Steve Sansweet. The most powerful Jedi ever. Visit RanchoObiWan.org and subscribe to the Rancho Obi-Wan Virtual Museum. A fun, authentic fan experience. Featuring rare photos, videos, Steve Sansweet Q&As, virtual tours of the museum, exclusive behind-the- seen stories and information and so much more plus your subscription helps ensure the future of the museum it's the rancho obi-wan virtual museum subscribe now at RanchoObiWan.org. get tons of cool perks information and history of star wars collecting from the man who knows it best steve sansui while contributing to the preservation of the world's largest star wars memorabilia collection RanchoObiWan.org. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. This is the story you've heard about, talked about, the spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. All right, folks. Thank you for joining us tonight on the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. We have uh, quite a special show. Uh, Shanti, how's it going? I am pumped today. You are pumped. You've been out. Uh, you had uh, some sort of work function, and you were uh, just. You just ended with Alan. You are ready yep. to go. Yes, I am. Excellent, excellent. And uh, tonight we have a very special show because we have a very special guest. Uh, like I was telling her, uh, I like to scour the internet to look for friends. I know that sounds a little bit creepy, Weirdo. but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, you know, I, I found uh, Andrea on on the internet and uh, scoping through her her uh, Twitter, uh, I guess her background and stuff like that. And I'm like, ooh, cool, monster. So that's definitely what gave me the idea. Andrea, thank you very much for saying yes to joining us on tonight's show. How are you? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be on the show and talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is monsters and universal monsters. And um, I've been looking forward to this all week. And I'm, you know, it's good to find like-minded people. No matter where you find them, it's a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, stranger danger, as they say, right? <laughs> but uh, I wanted to start out. Uh, so we've been taught that things that go bump in the night, the shadows we see in twilight, and all the horrific dreams in our subconscious are fueled by monsters. Um, I want to ask you guys uh, what your your first experience with uh, monsters uh, was. And uh, like you said, we are talking about the old time monsters, monsters like Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the traditional Dracula monsters, stuff like that. So we're going to get uh, real deep into discussing a little bit of their history. But I wanted to get your guys' takes on uh, on those old time monsters. Andrea, let's start with you. You are our guest. Give us a little uh, background on your first uh, experience with the creepy crawlies of the monster world. 
So that would be a twofold thing. See, I'm, I've always been a night owl since I was a little kid, and I was, you know, I'm Gen <laughs> X. So I was I, a little kid for me was early '80s, right? So um, I would stay up and I would watch like whatever was on because there was only like four channels at the time. So what whatever was on really late at night on the weekend was Elvira, and Elvira was introducing all these like B movies, these horror movies from the '60s and '70s, and um, I just thought she was so cool and so pretty and just glamorous, and she just introduced me to like all of these like you know b movies from the 50s and 60s and 70s all the stuff she used to have her her show where she would talk about horror and creepy stuff and and fashion and it was just this i was just being eight thinking this is my brand right so like i totally to this day i've met her a few times at conventions and things like that and she's still nice. I'm a huge fan of hers and um the other flip side to that would be scooby-doo because scooby-doo cartoons are <laughs> horror cartoons for children because really you know every every episode they had some variation of monsters and a lot of them were inspired by and sometimes directly these the 1930s universal monsters themes so that would be my answer scooby-doo and elvira wow that's uh, a combination i never thought uh, we would make a connection with <laughs> that is too cool very nice shanti what about you so i you know you always happen to ask these questions that are always going to go into a more sentimental area. Um, <laughs> That's why we love you. Yeah, I know. I don't know why. Uh, God bless. I know I talk about them a lot, but uh, I love my grandparents very, very much. And uh, um, my grandfather, like I said, who just passed away recently uh, this November, um, past November, they used to record a lot of old cartoons for me and my mm. sister, the old Popeye cartoons, little Lulu, and of course, one of them being Casper. Oh, yeah. So I very much remember Casper and those kinds of things. And my grandfather absolutely loved Frankenstein as well. And he actually gifted me, which I know no one will be able to see this, but I still have it to this day. It's an old VHS tape of Frankenstein. Very nice. Because this was one of his favorites. And Frankenstein is actually one of the first, I would say, horror type books that I checked out in the library when I was in middle school. I was just fascinated by the story, the thought of someone, you know, bringing someone else back to life kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, and it's just always been around me too, you know, just horror in general and growing up with like Tim Burton and all that weird stuff. So it's 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 in me. I, I love all these old universal monsters. Totally. And uh you should uh you should you know get an opportunity to uh post that later on after we uh finish recording that. Post that the online. Cover art I, was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, they they say that Mary Shelley, uh she's uh credited to being the very first science mm -hmm. fiction author uh back in the day. So uh, you know, the story was very, you know, very, very unique, time. very ahead of its time. And it's really cool that, uh, you know, she gets that distinction. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I hope a lot of people are familiar with Mary Shelley and uh, her contribution to science fiction and fantasy and, and the macabre, uh, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day. So that's, uh, that's really cool. I yeah. like that. She was a teenage girl. She was a teenager. She was like 16 or right. 17. When she and a it. girl. So imagine breaking that stigma too, where so many people think science fiction is mostly a, a guy thing. So right. that's a big deal. Especially it is at a that definitely, time. Yeah. A very big Even deal. More so. So my uh, first foray into uh, strange creatures and monsters, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, Shanti, you're too young. Oh my God. Um, Enough uh, <laughs> and, and now- 
and I'm not saying that you're not Andrea. I'm just saying that I'm just really old. But um, if you, if anybody remembers, if anybody's listening that remembers uh, the Son of Svenguli show, especially here in Chicago, one of the first monster movies that I saw through the Son of Svenguli back in the late '70s, he had a uh, a very special event. It was uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. For the first time in history, the famed Creature from the Black Lagoon comes to Chicago television in the amazing effect known as 3D. Prepare now for the creature's appearance. Reporting into 3D TV Central from the aquarium, here's the son of Sven with further details. Even the aquarium can't display the creature in 3D, but you can see the creature in 3D with a color TV set and these 3D glasses that you buy at participating 7-Eleven stores while supplies last. See the creature in 3D. 3D TV comes to Chicago on Channel 32. And you take these 3D glasses home with you, and then on Saturday when they showed the creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, you pop in those those glasses, and the creature from the Black Lagoon, the movie, would be supposedly in 3D. But I remember um, the big deal was that nothing was in 3D except for the fish that swam by underwater. That was the only thing that was 3D, and, and uh, it was kind of a very – uh, public uh, failed experiment in three in public 3D, um, but I thought it was still cool. You know, as a kid, uh, you know, seeing you know fish kind of like float in front of you in in your living room, I thought that was pretty neat. Um, so yeah, Son of Svenguli and the creature from the Black Lagoon, love it. Uh, late 70s, I'm not sure if it was li- uh, early 80s, maybe it was. Uh, I might be remembering it wrong, but uh, yeah, creature from the Black Lagoon. Can you dig it? Let's uh, let's kind of rewind a little bit and talk a little bit about the history. I think uh, in the notes I have here, do you guys uh, remember? No, you don't. But <laughs> back in 1913, <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah, remember it well. <laughs> like it was, it was a, yesterday, uh, right? <laughs> uh, right. Little movie called uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and obviously that storyline has been transformed and rewritten. Mm-hmm. Uh, several times. I think it's David uh, Hasselhoff starred in the musical, you know, (laughs) my God, (laughs) very, very funny. But, um, you know, back in the day, I think, uh, you know, we're all talking about the universal monsters, but, uh, back then I think universal studios was called IMP, uh, independent moving pictures company. And, uh, that was their claim to fame. Their one horror movie, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. um, some of the other things, uh, items uh, back then, and this is like you know, obviously this is er- very, very early on in uh, in the moving pictures days. We had a German silent film called The Gollum in 1915, uh, which is probably the earliest example of a of a creature on screen that uh, that has ever been um, exposed uh, through film. But yeah, Universal's earliest success, Jekyll and Hyde, um, you know, and then also a couple of years later, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. But uh, there's one thing that uh, permeates throughout all the movie monsters, um, especially back then, and uh, that would be the actors. Can you guys name uh, some of the actors that are very famous for movie monsters? Oh, yeah. In fact, Belagosi, uh, <laughs> Boris Karlov, Lon Chaney, Karlov. yeah. Mm-hmm. Elsa Lanchester, Bride of Frankenstein. She's still, mm-hmm. I just watched that recently, the Bride of Frankenstein. Her performance is still like one of the best 
horror movie performances of all time. I think it still holds up like almost a hundred years later, but you know, it brings up a good point. If you history, the history of Hollywood, all of Hollywood is Mm -hmm. horror. Like that, if without the horror genre, without all these, at one point, you know, everything, like something like 30 or 40% of all movies were horror movies Mm -hmm. coming out, you know, because it was like printing money. And in fact, it's, um, it was so popular that like the model was partly what Walt Disney you know, hey, these are older stories I can take and and turn right. them into something new. Like there was just really arguably Hollywood would not be what it is today without these early horror. Horror was the bedrock of early Hollywood. A lot of people who like to delegitimize it as a as a genre, you know, don't understand, don't don't know that history that it wouldn't be Hollywood wouldn't be what it is today without these, you know, the bedrock of of all these horror performances. And a lot of them were made on these like shoestring budgets with like you know, special effects that hadn't been tried before and, you know, mm-hmm. just a lot of risk taking, even, even Elsa's performance in the Bride of Frankenstein is the first time that a, a woman was on screen being a monster, you know, like being monstrous. Mm-hmm. And that was just like all these like narrative risks that they took. A lot of them just, you know, they don't get the credit that they deserve for, <laughs> for paving the way for a lot of other genres. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, one of the biggest reasons that I'm really excited about this, uh, this episode on, on Scarif here. It's, uh, it's something that, like you're right, we don't talk about it. Uh, it's like for a lot of people, especially nowadays using social media, I think a lot of, a lot of that history is kind of lost to the past. And, uh, you know, obviously names like Frankenstein and Dracula are, are very well known in pop culture, but where uh, is their origin, you know, do people really, you know, still continue to talk about them? And you're right, the delegitimization uh, of that genre, um, you know, it's it's not taken as seriously as it was, you know, back in the day. You know, you, you mentioned Frankenstein and, and you know, people, uh, you know, roll their eyes. So uh, it is a very important part of, of Hollywood, as you mentioned. And uh, Shanti, these actors, I mean, what is going on? Lon Chaney, uh, Boris Karloff. I mean, these guys were, were kings. They were giants in their industry. And not only just because they played these very iconic roles, but talk about you know, doing your own makeup and, and your own, you know, your own stunts and stuff like that. That is, that's quite a feat. And that's like Andrea was saying, it's it's things that were never, that hadn't been tried up until that point. And to take it, to take it so seriously is what I find so interesting because you wouldn't think something like horror, especially coming out of the gate for the first time and doing this for the first time in Hollywood, that a genre like that would be taken so seriously. But, you know, anytime I ever watch Frankenstein, because that is my personal uh, favorite, you know, I always read trivia as I'm watching a movie since, you know, I watch every movie a thousand times, so I don't need to pay attention. But it always amazes me every time I read just, you know, the long, you know, suffering that Boris Karloff went through, you know, after filming that and having to constantly uh, carry, um, what's his name? Uh, Colin Clive, uh, Henry Frankenstein, constantly having to carry him up and down in one of the scenes and completely just destroyed his back. And it, it, he suffered, you know, almost every role that he did after that. I mean, these guys really put a lot into it and, it's a method of acting that, I mean, do we see that a lot anymore, I guess? You know? I mean, right. I don't know I if mean, they take it as seriously anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously now nowadays uh, a lot of actors rely on CGI right. and computer graphics and things like that, and especially in the makeup world. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've uh, spoken with uh, Yoshi Vu, who has worked on uh, The Walking Dead, and some of the things that he is saying that a lot of the makeup effects are CGI, and you know, to me it blows my mind because you know, even in high school, I used to. Um, you know, put makeup on um, mm-hmm. my friend, you know, we used to do blood packs and scars and <laughs> things like that. But to, to be able to see, you know, the advancement of, I guess, of those visuals, um, it, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty astounding. Um, so we, we've got movies in the 30s with Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, The Mummy, 1932, followed by, you know, a whole slew of movies, Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, you had, uh, you know, I mean, these were household names back then, the actors, Lugosi, uh, Karloff, uh, you know, The Raven in 1935, uh, which, uh, you know, later on, the they teamed up to do all these movies, which, like Andrea was saying, I mean, the, this was the bread and butter of, of Hollywood back in the day. Um, Andrea, let me ask you this, you know, uh, obviously living now in the modern times and stuff, you know, things like that. Can you describe what it might've been to be able to go to a movie theater, uh, a movie house as they were called back in the day and, and just seeing all this just wonderful stuff. I mean, a lot of this stuff was like groundbreaking, never been seen before. Movies obviously were, were, were new, what must it? What could it have been like? It's just an amazing uh, experience. Well, they were they were events, right? I mean, they were. Um, I, yeah, I, my my grandmother was also very special to me. She's very very big movie fan since she was a little kid um, in the '30s, you know, and things like that. And so she would go, and it was like you would get dressed up to go to the movies. It would be like a like a whole event. It wouldn't be like now we're like, hey, you know, if I'm not doing anything on Saturday, maybe I'll swing by. It wasn't like that. Like it was a big big deal. And so when these movies would come out that were these, you know, big named horror especially that you saw it a lot even into the 50s where you had things like the blob and the thing and all that kind of they would really become word of mouth uh you know phenomena they would become cultural they would really ingrain themselves into people would be like you know did you see that because that gave me nightmares for two weeks and it was really not uh taken for granted i think the way that we take having we really live in the golden age of media now where we have literally more television than we can watch in a week i think that's an actual statistic where there's more hourly scripted shows than there are hours in the week now you know so like we have so much mm-hmm. to consume now and back then you know people would that was that was it that was the thing to do on a, you know and it was a big event for not necessarily for the family but maybe for dates or for friend groups and things like that so mm-hmm. i think that that is a little bit um, i think it was probably a bigger deal you know, especially since these stories were new and especially in this visual medium and just seeing what these guys would come up with next, you know, I mean, um, some of these uh, movies were the blueprint for things that got made later on and, and they inspired people. Like we talked about on Twitter, we were talking about um, Harryhausen, how he saw some of these and said, I can do this better. And he spawned an entire, you know, studio about this. So, so it's, they inspired a lot, I think. Um, not to say that movies today aren't inspirational, they certainly are and sure. can be. But um, I think they, they created, you know, new forks in human imagination, maybe that we don't see so often. As nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and every generation has a set of, of films, I guess, that inspire the next generation. You know, obviously uh, on our podcast, obviously we talk a lot about Star Wars and how that has generated so much inspiration with me personally to go into the field that I am. And I know a lot of people see, 
you know, movies from all over that really inspire them. I think, you know, the the old movie monsters of of back then um and i think they still continue to inspire i mean you've got makeup artists like rick baker uh you've got folks like you know john carpenter uh who really you know draw i guess from from the horror aspect of the old universal monsters and 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 uh projects and movies like that um shanti i'm gonna ask you uh regarding um, it seems like these movies really have become like a bedrock of the narrative for, for monsters, even as old as the old, you know, movies of back then are, do you think that they are still a, an influence on Hollywood today? I'm going to say yes, only because, you know, I mean, it could be maybe just the trend that we're in right now of Hollywood and, you know, my feelings on this about rebooting. But I mean, I believe that Universal actually wants to go back and and get right back into redoing some of these again. I mean, I know it didn't do very well, but didn't Tom Cruise recently... Didn't he do The Mummy or something? Like yeah. I know it didn't yeah, do very yeah. well or anything like that, but I I still think there's still interest. And it's actually something that I was thinking about as, as we were talking is that I personally would still love to see someone tackle Frankenstein again, tackle Dracula, Wolfman, The Mummy. I, 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 fear is a very basic emotion. Mm-hmm. And I do think people still do enjoy being scared. And I think if you can really put a more modern spin on some of these, I think these could do very well in this modern day and age. You would just have to put a different spin. I don't know if you could go back to making Frankenstein the way that we know Frankenstein from the thirties, or even the one that was redone with like Robert De Niro, which wasn't really that great, but you know, could you do something like that again? I don't know if it would work in that time period, but we won't know unless someone tries. I'd be well, willing to see the that. Invisible Man in 2020. Yeah, was a the Invisible huge, Man. That's huge. Right. They're actually doing a well. sequel, mm-hmm. and Lee Winnell, who is the Australian uh, director, um, he he's he used to be James Wan's partner. So I think they were yeah. responsible for some of those, mm-hmm. um, you know. And um, they did a lot of movies together. Uh, but now he's doing his own thing with Blumhouse, and they they're doing Wolfman reboot starring Ryan Gosling. I believe yeah. that I believe that's already in production. So and then I, I Invisible Man made a lot of money. And I think it was made for like six or $7 million. They made it for nothing. <laughs> and so wow. um, that's their new strategy is a, that Universal is sort of parceling out these properties instead mm-hmm. of trying to make this big cohesive shared right. universe, which is smart because um, like I've read Jason Blum, who's the Blumhouse producer. He was saying like, honestly, it makes sense to do it that way instead of having this sort of shared, like, what are they going to have like a Marvel kind of team up where like, you right. know, Dracula and Wolfman fight that, that, that would yeah, be kind of cheesy. And today, you know? <laughs> right. It would but it so did corny. happen, didn't it? No, it I did. I, yeah, it did. Yeah. Years so ago. <laughs> what was the, um, what was the, I think there was a Frankenstein uh, movie that all the monsters kind of came together after a while, you know, the, the, yeah. the I guess the, um, oh, there were some it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't the comedy one though because we'll get to that in 1948 they had uh, and they call it the the beginning of the end of the monster era because you know movies and narratives were kind of changing the right. uh, the environment and society was changing a little bit uh, people were getting a little bit more 
you know, serious and realistic in their in their movies. But 19, what, 1948, they had a comedy, Abbott and Costello Meet mm-hmm. Frankenstein, um, which, again, you know, they build that as the beginning of the end. But we still had, you know, monster movies. They still tried to, even after that comedy, they still tried to kind of bring all the monsters in an almost kind of like an endgame MCU type of re rematch uh very similar to, to, to that. So, uh, you know, Universal starts to try to, to bring everything back together. And I remember what was the first movie of the modern era where they reintroduced, um, I think the first one was, was Dracula, wasn't it? Dracula on, oh, the one that on, untold or on un- unchained, something, something like that. that. Yeah. I actually enjoyed that movie. It, yeah. They made Dracula, they made his character a little bit more sympathetic. He wasn't like this bl- bad guy, blood sucking, thirsty, you know, dude that goes around, mm-hmm. you know, killing, et cetera, et cetera. So they, uh, I think they infuse a little bit more uh, of a humanity uh, aspect to, to the character. And you're right that, you know, towards the end, you can see that they were trying to maybe create kind of a, an MCU connective uh, universe. Uh, was the mummy part of that? Well, um, I, it was supposed to be. So, like, I know that Guillermo del Toro was supposed to do Frankenstein. Like, he was he was on board for that. And then there was an Invisible Man um, reboot that was supposed to be starring Johnny Depp. And then I want to say that Javier Bardem was supposed to be the um, – not the mummy. Um, the Wolfman. Yes. So there was supposed to be, like, a Dark Universe reboot. And I know that there was talks of A Bride of Frankenstein – um, which I know now now they did they parceled it out to Elizabeth Banks production company and that's in production now which has nothing to do with any of the other there's no shared universe uh, between um, that and like the Invisible Man and the Mummy like the the Mummy the Mummy did really poor like so poorly I guess that yeah. it sort of killed all the impetus for the Dark Universe reboot in 2019 so um, I think it, that was mostly not just in terms of box office but how much it cost to make to begin with so it was like this massively expensive undertaking they they just millions and millions into marketing and it just did not have that return on investment that they were looking for so now that's their strategy is they're parceling out to people like lee winnell who made the invisible man for six point something million dollars and on a shoestring budget and it's that particular movie was very interesting because if you watch it there's not a lot of cgi there's some cgi with the invisible man suit but Mostly he used for invoking that dread and that horror, he used a lot of negative space. So there's lots of mm-hmm. wide angles where she's just mm-hmm. like chopping something in a kitchen. So there's no CGI. So there's like a minute right. of just her. And it's like she takes up this little corner of the screen and the rest is just an empty kitchen. And it's these really kind of old fashioned, uh, you know, uh, strategies for creating dread and Tension. scary. Yeah, right. yeah. And it was, I, I love that movie because it was used as an, as Shanti was saying, she, you know, that the, they did update those themes and they did um, use it as an allegory for gaslighting right. and for, mm-hmm. so I, if you go in that direction, I think there's, there's plenty of life left to them. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Show your 
eyes. I think one of the things that I really love when I watch, uh, you know, movies, especially with, um, I guess, with IPs that are superbly popular, and maybe this is one of the reasons that The Mummy didn't work, is, you know, when you bring in actors that are, like, larger than life, uh, they kind of drown out the rest of the, the movie. Right. That's why Detracts. one of the... One, yeah. yeah, that's why one of the reasons that I... Um, you know, we see a lot of polls and like, who, what actor would you like in the new Star Wars movie or what, you know, who would you like to see as a Jedi? And actually for me, you know, growing up and obviously I didn't know the actors when I was seven years old, but to me, Star Wars works because I'm not, you know, watching Tom Cruise as a Jedi. I'm watching this actor who I don't know as a Jedi. And, uh, you know, th this might be me, you know, saying, get off my lawn kids, but I, I'd, <laughs> I would rather have an unknown portray these characters that are larger than life rather than the larger than life actors come into this world. Because like, like Shanti, you're saying it does detract mm -hmm. and someone like Tom Cruise, I think the mummy, and I haven't seen the mummy. I, I saw the Dracula one, uh, which was great. And I, I, I don't know who that actor was. Right. Um, but with, with The Mummy, you know, I can kind of see how, you know, maybe it was a little distracting. And, you know, obviously, Tom Cruise has, um, you know, followers and detractors for 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 his, you know, uh, for his type of, of personality. Uh, there are people that love him, but there's people that hate him, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sure, you know, all that stuff come comes into play. I agree with you 100% and I know a lot of, I know that there have been a lot of actors that have actually not wanted to do roles because they feel like the movie, you know, they don't want it to be, you know, a movie that's about them and ooh, uh, look, this actor's in there. So yeah, I understand the studio, like you said, wanting to use Tom Cruise because he is always such a huge box office draw. And I understand, you know, it's gotten to the point where I feel like it is more about marketing more than anything else than the movie itself and the story. But, you know, if you're going in expecting to see something, especially that the mummy is such an established character and, you know, such an established story already. And we also had the Brendan Fraser version of it, which I personally love that movie, the first Same. one only. I Same. love that movie because I've always liked the mummy. I love the original mummy with Boris Karloff. I actually just watched it again, you know, last year and I love that movie, but I, I agree with you, Ro. I agree. I think sometimes it does work best if it's somebody who's not well known and you can really focus on the story and really focus on the acting and you're not thinking to myself, ooh, there's Tom Cruise chasing a mummy. I don't I don't want to think about that the entire movie for two hours straight. Do you guys think I'm, maybe some of that was backlash? Because that 1999 mummy, the mummy is so beloved. I mean, it's I, I, I see it make it's great. people's list of like their favorite movies all the time. I, love it. I think it holds up too. Still, it does. We just my son and I just watched it a, a few months ago, and it really does. And um, I kind of wonder if there was only like something like 19 years between the two films, and I wonder mm -hmm. if maybe some of that was just like they don't there was no need for a re i don't know like 20 years is kind of a long time that's a long gap i, I can't yeah. even see that it but i wonder if the target if that was some of it was the, the target audience still just had that goodwill toward the original and didn't or that maybe some maybe some creatures just have more appeal than others i mean werewolves and vampires 
I feel have constantly been popular and as much as I hate to bring up that this particular series but I mean look at Twilight I I mean True and then you have the whole you have the whole underworld series too which is all about vampires versus werewolves those two always have seemed to be the most popular I mean even Harry Potter introduced us to Professor Lupin who is also a werewolf so uh, those two seem to be the top dogs. I think Frankenstein and the Mummy, unfortunately, I think their time might be up. <laughs> that, that is an interesting observation um, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, even in the 80s, we had movies like mm-hmm. Lost Boys that uh, yeah. really, you know, uh, brought, uh, you know, trench coat wearing vampires uh, to the forefront of not only, not only you know, movies, but uh, fashion. I remember in... You know, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore, and, and all my friends wore uh, black trench coats, and we all ate maggots. <laughs> and then you had Teen Wolf, and you had an American, right. Wolf, you know, an Ameri- yeah. yeah, an American Werewolf in London. You even had Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So yeah. those two have always been around. Absolutely, you know, and, and getting back to the whole, you know, Abbott and Costello, uh, they, they, you know, love it or, or, or not, they kind of helped keep. Uh, monster movies alive in the public eye, even though they were comedic. But, uh, you know, you had uh, back in the, I think, uh, mid-50s, you had a company in uh, the UK called Hammer Film Productions that uh, they were kind of a competing company for Universal, but they had uh, the ability to continue the uh, Dracula line. And again, Abbott and Costello keeping the public interests, uh, you know, uh, in The Mummy and The Invisible Man. Um, and Universal again tried to kind of revive the the monster genre in the late fifties because of that. Um, but then we go into the sixties, uh, and uh, you know I think uh, movies uh, had definitely started to change until we see some of the more uh, modern takes. Shanti, you mentioned uh, Robert De Niro uh, as uh, Frankenstein's monster, and when I remember when they announced that. And they announced uh, Robert De Niro. I had mm-hmm. no idea what to expect. There was How could Robin, uh, Robert De Niro play uh, Frankenstein? It, I was really young when that movie came out, but for some reason, I don't know how, I do remember the confusion behind what. <laughs> <laughs> why why Robert De Niro was being cast as as the monster and then I think what was even more appalling cuz I I pers- I haven't watched the movie in, in so long because I thought it was horrendous. Doesn't he talk? Does he talk? Yeah. He talks, right? Okay, yeah. I think people had a serious issue with, yeah, so with that, that, that was very as controversial well. That was time. Kenneth Branagh's <laughs> vehicle right like that that was his movie yeah i haven't seen the movie in a long time i don't know if i should should i go back and watch it you should you should i I think kenneth branagh is is a great director he is a a great great director fantastic actor i love everything he's in um you know there's there's certain there's certain um actors that uh, no matter what they're in i i usually tend to to gravitate to their movies. Kevin Costner is another one of those actors that I love to see just whatever he's in. Cause he's, he's so great. <laughs> he's he's one that I run away from. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I, even Waterworld. I loved Waterworld. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Why did you admit talk. that? <laughs> I admit it. Oh man. Oh, 
You know, if if you're not feeling the Robert De Niro Frankenstein, I can mm-hmm. recommend my favorite modern version of Frankenstein, which Please is Mel Brooks's do. version, Young Frankenstein with oh. Gene Wilder, which is actually a very faithful. I I love Excuse horror comedy. Excuse me, I own it on DVD. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Awesome. It's uh, you know it's very faithful to the original novel. It's, it, I love being it. Served. Oh, that and again that to me, Roe is what makes me appreciate it even more. That's why I do like comedy because I do feel in order for you to be able to quote unquote poke fun of something like that, you really do need to know the material. And that is why I enjoy Young Frankenstein so much because I know the story of Frankenstein so well and that's what makes it twice as funny. Oh yeah, no, I love, please, I can quote that. Movie, like yeah. nobody's we, business. We watch it every Halloween. You know, it's one of our Halloween. Every Halloween, movies. I watch yes. it like every three months. It feels like. <laughs> Are you kidding me? She watched it for the Fourth of July. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it. it's a, it's a classic, and it really it does is. understand the material. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. To be a satirist, I think you know, especially at the level that Mel Brooks is at, which is a level that few people are at. I think he, yeah. you know, you oh. really have to have a very deep understanding, and it's really quite faithful to the, like the story, mm-hmm. the plot points of the original novel. So, well, that's you know, why I also like Dracula Dead and Loving It, which is also another yes. Mel Brooks film where he completely <laughs> takes the whole story of Dracula and also pokes fun of that as well. And it's not one of his best i will admit but i saw that as a young kid so i to me it's it's really funny but again he does a really good job again of knowing the material and being able to completely make fun of it while also telling an accurate version of the story (laughs) i don't know how he does it what a genius for sure Mm -hmm. so let's cut uh to uh the future a couple of decades and talk a little bit about um modern oh you know what before that uh shanti you had uh, mentioned um the what was it the haze the haze code yeah the haze code um let's go into it a little bit because it, it does talk a lot a of these bit films about, were before they were yeah, from before so censorship and and recut and and things like that you guys want to talk a little bit about that um sure uh i had only brought it up because you know we were talking about you know this in the chat and um i was talking about how much i love frankenstein and wanting to bring up the Hayes code because um like andy was saying these movies were released before the Hayes code was implemented and i believe i said it was implemented i think 1934 and what was really kind of devastating about that and i think is such an important scene to me in frankenstein is that they actually went back and edited the movie to remove the scene where Frankenstein actually tosses the little girl into the lake (gasps) just because it was such an obscene scene for people. And for me, I have seen the movie in its entirety and I've seen it with that scene in there and I've seen it actually with it taken out. And to me, it completely changes the story and the emotion behind everything it it almost doesn't even make sense and i think you did or i think that really does a disservice to the movie and to the story when you start going back and chopping things up like that so i'm I'm happy that once the haze code was over i believe it i read in what 1968 i'm glad now that you know it's back to its original form yeah, there's actually yeah. a wonderful bio, biopic um, 
and I don't remember what it's called. I could probably Google it real quick, but it's starring Ian McKellen and it's about James Whale, who is, um, he plays James Whale and he tells like it, he, everything he went through with the Hayes Code, mm-hmm. um, you know, and what he was, you know, he was a gay man living in the in the 30s. So he, right. um, you know, he used a lot of uh, his work as allegory and his self-expression and a lot of himself is in, is in, Frankenstein and it's a really beautiful film. It actually stars, I believe Brendan Fraser is the other person in in Brendan Fraser and, and uh, James whale. And um, it's a really interesting um, biopic and it's really kind of underrated one, but if you're a horror fan and you're a fan of Frankenstein, it's really, it tells the whole story of, of the Hayes code and the effect it had on the film industry and, and the horror industry. I think maybe that's why we saw, some of that had to do with because horror is such a great vehicle as an allegory mm-hmm. vehicle, you know, to tell stories that are not just about a monster, but you know, the monsters within ourselves and all that right. stuff. So um, I think uh, that probably would be a great topic for a really deep dive is how the Hayes yeah. Code affected horror specifically and how we see that change in the fifties and the forties, you know. Well, you I got agree. an op- op- we you got an open invite, uh, Andy. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> get some notes ready and let's, uh, yeah, let's prep I would love that one to for take sure. A deep dive yeah. So let's cut uh, forward to a couple of decades and talk a little bit about uh, modern monsters. And uh, Shanti, you talked about uh, Twilight, your favorite uh, uh, vampire movies. Um, I'm sure. And uh, so we got uh, movies like uh, Blade which uh, is part of uh, the Marvel family, mm-hmm. played brilliantly by Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got, uh, was, uh, you just mentioned he's going to be played by one. Maharshala Ali. He's going to be played by. Yeah, yeah that's going to be awesome. I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. I mean, Blade, bring Blade back. Yeah. I'm super glad they're bling, uh, bringing Blade back. I um, so what is it about vampires in particular that you love, Shanti? They're sexy. There you That's go. It? That's the answer <laughs> I was sexy. looking for. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Scary <laughs> Podcast. They're so and, uh, alluring. I don't know what it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny though, uh, Andrea, you mentioned, um, you know, we like monster movies because they kind of portray and uh, hold up a, a mirror to the monsters within ourselves. Yeah. What does that say about Dracula? How can uh, you- we... You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the series True Blood, uh, both in book mm-hmm. form and, and the TV form. Yep. Um, they really played that to the hilt on the TV show, right? Yeah. And um, it's just the idea is that, yeah, for I mean, that was it was very sexy. It was very like that was just the order of the day. And it's funny because uh, Charlene Harris, the author of that, those books, um, if you meet her, she's like the nicest, most adorable, like southern little old lady. <laughs> like she's you know not old, but she's like an older you know. You would never guess. You would it's see her more the quiet like ones. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so she, you know, you would expect her to see her like a church potluck, maybe, but like. Right. Writing these sexy right. vampire, <laughs> she's she's the nicest lady too. But she just she just wrote like her imagination sprung forth. So it really um, it really does talk a lot in the books, but in the show as well. They explore about how you know this is a form of intimacy, and it's kind of there's all these taboos that are you know built in because you know they're sucking blood and the whole right. thing about your life source. You know, is it, so there's all kinds of layers to it. But I do think that it that the the ways that vampires you know they they bite people it's there's something intimate about it and people Mm -hmm. find it sex i by the way i have never seen the twilight films it's not because like i look down on them because i have friends that are fans or what have you but i just for i felt like i was outside the outside the target demo for them you know like i just never sad part is is that i have watched because i read the books i don't know why i did that because they're horrible they're horrible (laughs) horribly written 
but I did read the books. Well, because I'm a Harry Potter person and I wanted to read them because I don't discriminate and I didn't like them. And I didn't like the movies that much more, except for maybe the last two. But I've watched them multiple times because it's one of those like Sunday, nothing's on guilty pleasure kind of movie. But I mean, listen, if you want to take a stab at them or a steak at them, whichever one you yeah, prefer, there you go. go ahead. But I personally don't like them. They're horribly acted. The CGI is terrible. The story is ridiculous. There's better movies. Yeah, well, they spawned, I mean, the good news is they spawned a bunch, you know, this sort of re, you know, discovery, especially like in, you know, younger people. And that's of- the only thing I, I liked is that it did kind of reignite at least an interest in these creatures, which I, I will never have a problem with. So that's the only thing I can give Stephanie Meyer a, a thumbs up for is, you know, thank you for that. But other than that, they're horrendous. <laughs> they're horrendous, <laughs> no hilarious we, we so, also have uh you know hotel transylvania that's a child's franchise yeah, they like have them. all the yeah. old they're super cute mm-hmm. and they have all the old universal and that's where you got to get them you got to yeah. get them when, when they're, they're young. young that's where it's the interest really that's where you got to pique the interest because like you you were saying at the beginning i also i know i'm young ro but i watched a lot of tv and my sister and I, we watched all the old Scooby-Doo. And I very much remember when Shaggy and Scooby were running, you know, a cute little school for the monsters, like Offspring and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I remember that little movie. And so, yeah, horror has always been a huge influence for me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they continue to uh, influence movies. I think nowadays, you know, we've got, uh, you know, even in the 80s, you've got uh, music videos like Thriller, uh, which, uh, you know, we're talking about zombies, you know, zombies, I I think zombies have kind of resurfaced again Mm -hmm. as the go to, you know, even even through the entire run of The Walking Dead, yeah, um, you've got uh, the Brad Pitt zombie movie. You have the Zack Snyder zombie movie that was mm-hmm. just uh, recently released on on uh, Netflix. Um, but yeah, I mean, zombies are part of it now. Uh, do you guys ever see a, a return to the basics? Do we see another Frankenstein coming? And I know, Andrea, you said that uh, Universal is starting to kind of uh, rehash a lot of some of their old stuff, which I really can't wait. Like I said, I wish, really wish that the mummy had been as successful as it should have been. Uh, I, I don't mind a, a kind of a collective universe. I would have liked to have seen where that went. Narratively speaking, um, like I said, I, I enjoyed uh, the Dracula film, but, um, you know, there's something to be said about these fantastical creatures that uh, live only in the uh, shades of our innermost workings. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, well, you know, the hope is, of course, that... Um once these new properties, these new um, these new movies based on these older properties come out, that they actually inspire people to go back and look at them and see if they hold up. And uh, I know that um, I had seen The Invisible Man, the original one with Claude Rains, uh, when I was like a teenager, which was a little while ago. And so um, I hadn't seen it in many, many, many years. And I went back to watch it just out of curiosity. Because, you know, when you see something when you're a kid and it makes such a big impact on you, and then you watch it 20 years later and you're like, what was what was the big deal about this, right? <laughs> yeah. I kind of wanted to see if that was the case. Because, I mean, Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein definitely holds up. In fact, um, 
it's um it I played it for a bunch of my friends' kids at a Halloween party like three years ago, and they were like seven to eleven. So they're super jaded about media at this age, right? Because all the kids right, are right. born, they come out of the womb knowing everything about social media and TV and all this. <laughs> and they were like transfixed. I mean, all of them. They were like shushing each other each other when they're like they wanted to oh, like nice. that's like awesome that. it was so cool because they were they were like where where did this movie even come from like they it thought it was so like happy. a a new you know thing and they, so them so that's the hope i think is that uh people will go back and watch them so i did go back and watch the um original claude rains invisible man and um it's a very different story than the 2020 mm-hmm. you know re- reboot of it right. but it's still a fun movie it still tells a good story still the, the acting in it the performances they were very theatrical a lot of these actors were formally trained they were you know theater people and um it's just that's the hope is that having these things you know inspire people to go back and and rediscover <laughs> rediscover some of these yeah. like lost classics that are still a lot of fun And you hit on something interesting there. And I think the only way we are going to keep this alive, which is like everything else, it it starts in the home. I wouldn't know any of this if it weren't for my parents, if it weren't for my grandparents wanting to actually take the time and, you know, buy me these things and, you know, have us exposed to it, you know? So that's why I, you know, took it upon myself when, you know, once I had nieces and nephews, I'm not going to show you the new Disney stuff. I'm not going to start you on Pixar. I'm going to start you on Snow White. I'm going to start you on Sleeping Beauty. I'm going to start you from the very beginning. Same thing with Star Wars. When I showed my two eldest nieces who are only, you know, they're eight and five now, but I showed them Star Wars like two years ago, and I showed them the original trilogy. I said, I don't want to expose them just yet to all this CGI. And I think to appreciate the newer ones, you need to know where we came from. So I'm really glad that you went ahead and showed them that because that's what they need to be exposed to first. Absolutely. You know, I'm inter- so sorry, <laughs> sorry, Ro. That's how I feel. This you know, podcast is a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, but right? it's the same. I, I keep <laughs> making the point also with the animation. You, you're you not going to know unless you know where you came from. Do you really think animation would be as respected as it is if it weren't for Walt Disney? Right. People really did not care about animation until they saw Snow White and they were like, holy crap, you can tell a well thought out story using animation. No, for sure. And you know, what's interesting is when you do share um, horror, you know, and obviously you have to be careful when you're sharing horror with children yeah. because some, you know, they, so, some kids are more sensitive than others. And I, mm-hmm. with my kid, my kid is, is 23 now, so he's older now, but when he was little <laughs> and he was curious about like the walking dead or, or mm-hmm. other things that I thought, you know, um, I would talk, we would talk about it. We would say, Hey, you know, this might be scary for you. So are you sure you want to watch it? Are you sure that this is something that you're ready to watch? You know, there's, I would say, you know, there's lots of scenes of like animal violence. I would briefly describe it. Clapping. And if he said, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes he would say, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hold off on that, you know, cause it, I didn't like overstate it, but you know, you right. have that trust with kids um, that they trust your opinion. And when um, you have to trust them too, that if they want to watch something and they can't handle it, they can tell you and it's okay. You're not going to laugh at them and you'll turn it off, you know, but right. um, I have a f- one of my best friends and she, she has two sons that are very close in age and what the little one will watch like Chucky and watch, you know, like the most violent slasher movies. No problem. 
problem. Like since he's like a little kid, he'll just like like eating popcorn, nothing. Like, the older <laughs> one, awesome. the older one is like thirteen and still is like I'm not so big on the the violence. And so, so you kind of have to see where where they go for. But you know, you do that, and then you'll see that they start having their own tastes and their own opinions right. and sure. being exactly. inspired in different ways than you might have gotten. Whatever I got out of movies that I showed my kid often, you know, he, he got completely different experiences out of them or he has completely right. different thoughts on it. So it's, it's lots of fun to do that. It is. Here you go, little Billy, Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, I remember, I remember when I was like 11 or 12 years old and watching, you know, like VHS tape of Nightmare on Elm Street at a slumber party was like amazing, you know? I I saw Halloween that way for the first time. I went to a friend's house. We were doing a Halloween party and I was like 11 years old and they decided to put on the first Halloween movie. And I myself was actually freaked out by it and left the room (laughs) because I didn't like it. And now it's one of my all time favorite hollow uh, horror movies and i have to watch it every halloween you spent it seems like you spent a lot of time hiding from movies you just said that <laughs> you 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 were hiding uh, because uh, jack nicholson and the joker at school the teacher was watching uh, i was movie. actually a pretty uh, scaredy a bit of a scaredy cat up until a certain point and then all of a sudden i did a complete 180 and just became <laughs> fascinated with death and morbid and ghosts and all things of that nature. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't well, you know, know where, Stephen, where I took a turn. <laughs> Stephen King has a whole essay, I think it's called On Horror, I think, where he talks about the reason that we likes, like horror movies is because they allow us because they allow us to be scared in a safe context though because if you're watching you're watching this with your girlfriends you're 11 years old and watching nightmare on elm street like i was you know you know that even if you're scared in that moment that it's all going to be okay you're going to be okay it's like it's it's like almost like a roller coaster you know like you know at the end you're going to be fine you're going to walk off and and you know it's it's a safe context to experience all these very you know high alert emotions that we don't always allow ourselves to experience it's very true i hate roller coasters i will not get on one (laughs) what yeah Hey, what's up, podcast family? Ro here. Just wanted to give our patrons a heartfelt thank you. Wonderful folks who have found it in their hearts to support the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. We're super lucky to have you. Folks like Amanda, Jedi Caligula 89, Joey Rosales, the Salty Crew, Alex and Matt, super fan of many of the pods on the Red 5 Network, Backyard Tardis, Nicholas Schaefer, what's up, Nick? Chad at Hyperspace and Holocrons, Jay from Florida, and our newest patron, Frank V. Big thanks and a returning patron in the executor tier, 97 Bravo. Huge respect, my friend. We thank you all for your support. And if you want to become more involved in the Scare of Scuttlebutt community and feel like becoming a patron, head over to patreon.com slash scare of scuttlebutt. Remember, we can't have the scuttle without the butt. And don't forget, it's always sunny on Scarif with patrons like you. Well, this has been a really fun discussion. Uh, Before we take off, I just want to ask uh, one question. 
One last question for Andrea, but uh, one question to both of you guys. What is one of the movies that really has scared you the most as a kid? Shanti? Like something like the first time you saw it, you were like, what do you think? Besides uh, the Batman with uh, Jack Nicholson, the Joker (laughs) that you were hiding under. You're going to think this is interesting. Uh oh! Should I call the yeah, therapist? Yeah, yeah, no. Hold on, wait, wait. Now I love this movie now, and I can watch it now. Obviously, as an adult, because I'm not an idiot. But <laughs> believe it or not, Roger Rabbit. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Ah. Yeah, though it Christopher is Christopher Lloyd character at the end. Yeah, those freaky eyes and his shrieking when he's finally being dipped. I I used to dread when someone would put that movie on because I knew what was coming at the end and yeah. I would close my eyes and I couldn't stand it. and there was something about that high pierced shrieking of his and those crazy eyes oh my god like just thinking about it now like I, I don't even know if I want to watch that movie anymore <laughs> you're, you're not That's alone hilarious. in that because oh, about man, two years was... ago I went to Dragon Con at, two years ago and there was a dude dressed as that character at that moment in the movie oh, and he had this stop he it. had this like giant wheelbarrow that he was wheeling around that had dip on it and everyone uh. was like that's cool, but I'm gonna be on that. I would have had to have left. I would have had a panic attack. Oh, he was. Everybody me. was freaking out at that because it was like I, I think it just caused some kind of you know you're not alone. even ET used to scare me as a kid. I could see yeah, that. Yeah, ET was scary. Yeah. yeah, when he got when he gets sick and he's all white mm-hmm. and pale yeah. like that used to freak yeah. the hell freak me out. Oh, that's hilarious, Andrea. What about you? <laughs> For me, I think it would definitely be the first Nightmare on Elm Street. I saw it, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was older by the time I had, not older, but a few years old. By the time I saw it at a, at a slumber party when I was like 11 or something like that. And um, the concept of, you know, I think as a child, you think that your sleep and your dreams are untouchable and right. that they're, they're your, they're your personal space. They're your, mm-hmm. they're just yours. And to have this idea that this terrible person could invade that space and, you know, hurt you and kill you and all do all this stuff. And also even, you know, hurt your friends and your loved ones, um, was really just a deeply horrifying concept to me as a small child. And just, I, um, you know, made me think a lot about what are dreams and what, you know, then a lot of people think, you know, if you die in your dreams that you die for real, apparently that's not true, but that's a very common, <laughs> I don't want to test you know? it. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, as far as I know, it's not true, but, um, but you know, that's something that I, I it just, it was just something that really moved me, I think. And, and it, it was very scary to me and I just gave it a lot of thought and, um, the deaths are people that were not much older than me in the, you know, the movie, I mean, they were in their twenties in real life, but they were supposed Mm -hmm. to be 15 or 16. And, um, it was just a very, uh, it made a really deep impression on me. And, um, I definitely want to see more. I I, I saw all of them as a kid, all the nightmare on streets, even, you know, so I was hooked. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about you? Which one? Yeah. Freddy Krueger is, uh, you know, one of my favorites, uh, you know, quick story. My, a uh, really great, great uh, friend. Uh, we grew up together. He's almost like a brother to me, Rich. Um, he uh, he and I used to chase neighborhood kids with a Freddy Krueger knife in the neighborhood. Um, but we didn't have, you know, we were kids, so we couldn't sharpen any actual knives. So we took butter knives and uh, 
tape them to a work glove. What but a town. It, yeah, but it was still a lot of fun <laughs> chasing these kids. Until we got a little older, we were 13, 14 years old, and Chicago police got involved, but that's another story. Boo. I was going to say, nowadays, you get Kill the SWAT joy. team called on you. Oh, you know? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Well, I, I got another story, and also, well, I'll leave that for another. A SWAT, team, a SWAT team was called on our group, but that's another story. So one of the things that really scared me as a young kid and I still remember being frightened at the instant. And I don't know where I saw it. It must have been on TV. But in 19, oh, it, it was a movie from 1922. Not that I saw it when it was actually released. I'm not that old, damn it. Darn, um, you took the joke away from me. Right. <laughs> Nosferatu, the black and white 1922, yes. you know, Great film. Movie. Uh, just the the stoic look on the uh, vampire's face, the shadow. Obviously, mm -hmm. I think films in black and white evoke some sort of uh, you know extra special, extra sensory uh, you know emotion. Uh, there's a reason, yeah. There's a, there's a reason that black and white films are probably as revered as they are. Uh, you know, with uh, you know with uh, film uh, fans. But yeah, Nosferatu definitely was uh, something that just freaked me out as a kid. Big head, big ears, that, that stare was uh, terrifying, terrifying. Solid choice. Absolutely. Well, guys, Andrea, Shanti, Andrea, thank you very much for this was just an awesome discussion. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on the show with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was awesome. This was really I fun. echo that sentiment. Thank you. Absolutely. Thing, so uh, just, uh, you know, I, I was on your website and you do a lot of other cool things. But uh, can you share with our listeners where uh, people can find you and say hello? Um, I can both, mostly be found on, on Twitter nowadays. I'm at plus verb is my Twitter handle. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about um, comic book media and horror and modern horror and, you know, just pop culture in general. But those are those are my two, sometimes some occasional pirates. You know, those are my three kind of main uh, different things that I talk about. So if anybody wants to say hello and, you know, join in on the nonsense, you know, they're welcome to. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. And like I said, you have uh, definitely have a second home here at the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Oh, Whenever you want to come by and talk about uh, whatever it is that you want to talk about, we'll uh, we'll make it happen. Shanti, it seems like uh, you can just open up Twitter and there you are. You're on Alan's show. You're with uh, Rogue One, wherever, wherever with Rachel. Yep. How can folks uh, actually, find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, Chantal729. And actually, I was just on Alan uh, Press Play. Uh, we were talking about the new uh, Suicide Squad movie. So we were actually doing a live stream just before I came on here. And um, thank you very much, Andy, for coming on. And you mentioned Pirates. I would love to do a show about pirates. Yes, we should do in. pirates. We need to give <laughs> pirates some love. Um, so I would definitely love to do that. Awesome. That's like a I, big niche. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to give you guys, uh, if you guys want to find a third um, partner in crime, I would love to give you the keys to uh, to the Citadel. You guys can go ahead and, and do sure. that. We'll put it together. That would be awesome. I think that'd be great. Excellent. So uh, you can find us here at Scare of Podcast on Twitter and all the socials. If you want to drop us a voicemail, we'd love to hear your voice and say hello. Give us a call at 773-234-8659 or shoot us an email at scareofscuttlebot at gmail.com. We are a proud founding member of the Red 5 Network. 
Check out the rest of the Red 5 family at red5network.com, where we have uh, all sorts of wonderful peeps and content creators out there with uh, doing either podcasts or YouTube channels and everything in between. So just wanted to say thank you again, guys, for joining me. Uh, Andrea, we'll see you out on the uh, the, uh, Twitterverse, and Shanti, we'll probably see you very early. We... All of us have coffee together, apparently, in, <laughs> yes. the, in the DMs uh, real early in the morning. But uh, this is Ro on behalf of uh, all of us here at the Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast. Brad, stay safe wherever you are at. May the force be with you. Talk to you guys later. And that is the Scuttlebutt. Can you dig it? <laughs> Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. <laughs>